Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. I'm your host, John Parrott. I'm here with Linda Oliver and Tree Triolo. Linda, Tree, how's it going? Pretty good, John. Doing great. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you guys again. I know as we've come back from the summer, uh, the the regular kind of co-hosts of the podcast have not been um, on as much. So anyway, it's just good to have you guys back on and Um, We're going to be talking today about uh, the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory on social media. Uh, The the title of that was just Social Media and Youth Mental Health. Uh, This was an advisory that the Surgeon General, and I might be mispronouncing his name, uh, Vivek H. Murthy. Uh, We think that's how it's pronounced, and I'm sure um, anyone out there can correct me. But uh, this was issued in May um, I think it was May 23rd, uh, this, this, you know, b- before this summer. And as you all know, uh, the summers are very busy for RYM and, uh, we wanted to discuss this cause we felt like it was obviously a, a pretty big deal. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just kind of highlighting that when I say a, a pretty big deal, um, anytime the surgeon general issues an advisory, uh, and again, this is their description, this they say that this is about an urgent public health issue and that these are reserved for significant public health challenges that require immediate awareness and action. And so, again, when the United States Surgeon General is issuing this advisory, uh, this is something that, that should get our attention. And as Christians, this should get our attention for a lot of reasons, um, not only just uh, the content that we're going to be discussing, but then just on a spiritual level too. Um, and I know as we've talked plenty of times on this podcast about social media, sometimes uh, those conversations can get just kind of stale because we hear this so much. Um, but again, yeah, I just think it's our responsibility to be talking about this. And so kind of some of the purpose of what we hope to accomplish on this uh, podcast episode today is one uh, to summarize uh, this advisory. Um, I'll have it linked in our show notes. It's a 25-page PDF, and so I'd encourage all of you to read it. Um, And really, you know, if you take out the end notes, it might be like 20 pages. Um, But to summarize, uh, to raise awareness, because some of you might have missed this um, as it was released, um, and then also to exhort both parents and youth workers out there that are listening to this, uh, we have a responsibility uh, to steward the next generation. And, um, you know, obviously in the church, people are leading in this and encouraging and and raising awareness, but but the world, uh, those outside the church are, are trying to exhort us to just some serious concerns. And so some of this might be old information to you. Some of it might be new information, um, but really, um, parents and youth workers just encouraging you to take responsibility here. And also um, kind of towards the end, I think we'll get into some action points and, and stuff like that. Um, one thing too, I want to say from the beginning, and I, I might uh, draw attention to this again, there should be an infographic uh, that summarizes uh, just some of the high points of this advisory. Um, 
that should be in the show notes to this podcast, uh, Joey Keim, who you heard from a few weeks ago on this podcast, RYM's newest staff member. Uh, he put together this graphic for us that's really helpful. And I hope parents, you can download that and use that. But youth workers, download that, uh, print it out, uh, share it with your parents. Um, it should just be a helpful tool. Um, there should also be a PDF, too, on some of the action items. Um, so with all that being said, Linda, why don't you just kind of maybe some things that jumped out to you at the beginning um, of this advisory? Sure. So I thought that um, there's just some really strongly worded things at the very beginning and end of this report that I want to draw our attention to initially. Um, basically, the report starts out by saying, uh, nearly every teenager in America is using social media, but we don't have enough evidence to know whether or not it is sufficiently safe for them. Um, in this line in particular, our children have become unknowing participant participants in a decades long experiment. It's critical that we understand like how it's impacting them. Um, they don't have the luxury of waiting years to know the full extent of social media's impact because their adolescence and their development is happening now. And so given the mounting evidence for the risk of harm to some children and adolescents from social media use, uh, the Surgeon General is recommending a safety first approach that should be applied with these products. Some very, very strong um, wording that I just think you, you got to understand that when you're looking at this report. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that, that's something that jumped out to me. I mean, just that 95% of youth ages 13 to 17 are using it. And then it says in that, you know, a third are saying they're using social media almost constantly, um, that they're hardly, uh, you know, getting a break from it. And when you add that to what you just said of, this is kind of an experiment <laughs> that we don't know what's happening. We don't know just the long-term effects of this, um, but we're just continuing to kind of turn a blind eye and just allow them to continue to use it. So yeah, that, that that's definitely alarming. Um, you know, it captures your attention right, right at the outset. Um, something too, and then uh, Tree, maybe you can jump in as well. You know, it says, you know, that nearly 40% of children that are using it are ages 8 to 12. And it says, you know, even though social media platforms, many of the minimum age restrictions are at 13. And just kind of throwing that back to, to both of you, um, just thoughts on as Christians hearing that, you know, what what's our obligation to uh, abide by those? I mean, uh, are we knowingly just, um, you know, lying when we let our children jump on these platforms. And um, I don't know, that, that's just something we can easily kind of dismiss and the, the world isn't going to think much about it. But as believers, uh, to know that eight to 12 year olds are using something where this, the minimum age is 13. Just any thoughts there, Tree, Linda, whoever wants to, to jump in? Yeah, I think, I mean, everybody has the responsibility of, maintaining that that standard but i think we as christians especially do because uh, whether or not we we like it or not or whether or not we think it or not the, the world does watch us to see how we respond to things and uh, if if we're not upholding by this i mean it it yes there are positives to social media but a lot of it is negative and and we're purposely like giving our children access 
to things well before it's even recommended that they they have it. Um, so I think there is a sense in which we as Christians, we need to be very mindful of, of how we approach something like that. Um, because we value our children, not that the world doesn't value their children, but but we, as, as a, a covenant unit, you know, we're we're responsible for the the development of our children in spiritual ways. And if we're putting them in a place where they're going to be exposed to things that are going to be hugely negative for them, I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of that in just a little bit. But uh, I just think we, we definitely have a responsibility to to uphold that standard as best as we can or even push mm-hmm. it past the, the minimum and give it to them later. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it seemed like there's something you just said that I wanted to, to highlight, um, but it's totally escaping me. So uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, wh- why don't you jump into just page five there? I know there's a few things that you wanted to highlight, Tree. Yeah, this is in the second paragraph on page five when it says adolescents ages 10 to 19 are undergoing highly, a highly sensitive period of brain development. And it goes on to talk about how a uh, sense of self-worth is forming. Brain development is especially susceptible to social pressures and peer opinions and peer comparisons. And it goes on to talk about a bunch of scientific stuff that I don't understand, uh, <laughs> but talks about impulse control and emotional regulation and moderating social behavior. Uh, what I think we're doing as, as a culture is in some ways we're actually handing uh, teenagers uh, full access to something that they themselves don't have any clue how to operate. So like I would not give my son a chainsaw because <laughs> It's just not wise, and he'd probably cause some damage. Or, you know, I wouldn't hand my daughter a laptop because she wouldn't know how to use it. She'd probably break it or spill something on it. They're in this this clearly developing period where there's a lot going on, and we can talk all day about the whole idea of self-worth and impulse control and all that, but if we're not putting some sort of like self-regulation on that, we're, we're essentially just handing them tools to a, or, or handing them keys to a tool. They have no, no clue how to operate. I mean, I, when I read that, I immediately thought about back in episode 391, when you were talking to, uh, hmm. the Montgomery family, like he had no clue how to operate that system and how to, how to operate that, that situation. Um, so I, I'm, I'm fearful of, of teenagers, having to figure this out on their own. And I think that's incredibly, uh, you know, I, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but, but I will, it's, it's a dangerous thing, uh, to get, to just hand them keys to something that they, they just don't know how to operate. Uh, and that kind of oh, stuck yeah. out to me on page five. So, yeah, no, and I, I mean, dangerous is not, um, not overstating that, uh, by any means. I know there's, Research in the the book, The Distracted Brain, as well as NeuroHealth Magazine has talked about um, some of the the dangers could be equal to brain damage. Um, They actually use that that language, brain damage, when you put some of these devices in the hands of of young children, again, whose brains are developing. And um, so, yeah, I don't think you're overstating at all. And I think it's important, too, just kind of as they mentioned in the study, 
you know, the, the complex factors in all of this, um, they kind of say four things that, that I'll, I'll highlight. They say, uh, you know, the, the reason why this is difficult to discuss and some of these complex factors are, number one, the amount of time children are spending on platforms. Number two, the type of content that they're consuming or, or, or exposed to. Number three, the activities and interactions that social media affords. And then number four, the degree to which it disrupts activities that are essential for health, like sleep and physical activity. Um, so there's so many complexities to consider when discussing this, not to mention the fact that, you know, every child is unique and they're unique in their gifts. They're unique in their vulnerabilities. And we as Christians kind of, you know, we add in the, just our sin nature to all of this. And so there's so many complexities you can hear that are trying to be unpacked in this advisory, but then as Christians too. Uh, Linda, please jump in. Yeah. I wanted to um, jump in on the idea that, um, like the report is is pointing out teens are in a particularly vulnerable and important stage of brain development. And I had just recently read a book by Dan Siegel that's just about the development of the teen brain. Dan Siegel is like a neurobiology kind of guy. Um, he's written a lot of books. People might have heard of him, but he has one book called Brainstorm that's about the power and purpose of the teenage brain. And he just like really, I think, helpfully lays out um, what's happening in the teen brain um, that I think really connect with some of the things that this report is talking about. So there's like four major changes he points out are happening in the teenage brain. And these all have an upside and a negative side, right? So like novelty seeking, the, the brain is developing an increased drive for rewards, which can create motivation to try new things and they can have passions emerge and all that. But also it can mean they overemphasize like seeking out thrill and rewards, Right. And social media can play into that. Another thing is like social eng engagement is increasing. And so they're looking for more friendships. Right. But then that can make them susceptible to like pushing away adults or like going for the easy route of looking for relationships through social media. Um increased emotional intensity. Like we can probably all look back at our teenage years and go like, oh yeah, like my emotions were like way higher and way lower back then. Like literally that's what's happening in your brain. Um, and so that can make you like live with more energy and zest in some great ways, but it also means your emotions can rule the day and you can become really impulsive and moody. Um, and then it talks about creative exploration that we have, um, the ability to think more abstractly and that can, um, tie in with like identity formation and all this stuff. But like those four things are happening, especially in the teenage years. And that's what this report is talking about when it's saying like, there is such important things happening in teen brains that so like they are particularly susceptible to some of the dangers of social media in ways that adults are not. Yeah, no. And, and uh, yeah, I'm so glad you're highlighting that. And, uh, you know, it's like, I know this is a, alarming that, you know, we're starting off this podcast and just to, to let everybody know we're about to take a break. Um, but it's kind of like, that's the way this advisory starts off. It's, it's alarming. I mean, it catches your attention immediately. And 
you know, I can't help but but just assume that those listening to this are parents and youth workers who are probably already aware of this and it can kind of just become white noise. But it's like we really need to stop and, and think about what we're talking about here. You know, I mean, we are talking about the next generation, which we are responsible for stewarding. And the way God has designed uh, humans is this developmental process in the brain to, to have, you know, years to be developed. And we're doing something that's disrupting it. And our culture is doing something um, that's greatly hindering. And, and in some ways, as we said, we don't know what all it's going to do in the next five to 10 years. And so we need to be sobered by this. Um, we need to give pause and thought to this and not just dismiss it. And so... Even though it's alarming, it's sobering, um, I hope it's, it's something that will uh, wake some of us up um, to these realities. Uh, so look, um, at the beginning, and maybe Tree, you said it, there are benefits to social media, and this advisory does highlight benefits. Um, and so why don't we pick up on the other side of the break, uh, talking about some of the benefits, and then we'll get into some of the other content. Hey there, this is Brent Corbin, Executive Director of Reformed Youth Ministries. If you're listening to this podcast, you are likely either a youth worker or a volunteer with youth in a church, or maybe just a parent with teenage kids of your own, and you no doubt have found yourself wondering, why is this so hard? What is it about youth that makes my job feel like it's never-ending and that I just can't quite figure it out? Well, if that's you, we want to invite you to our youth leader training event in January in Nashville, Tennessee. At YLT, we will explore all kinds of topics surrounding ministering to youth these days. How best to do it? What does the Bible have to say about it? How do we philosophically think about the work and the task that the Lord has put before us? So please come and join us. Go to our website, rym.org training. And from there, you will see everything that you need to get registered and bring a friend with you. And if money is an issue, please don't hesitate to reach out. We want as many of you to be there as possible to benefit from this important training event. Take care, and we hope to see you then. All right, everybody, I'm back here with Linda and Tree. We're discussing the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory on social media and youth mental health. Um, As we said before the break, uh, there are benefits to social media uh, that we could all discuss independently of this advisory, but they're mentioned in this advisory. But I do think it's kind of funny that in, you know, this 25-page advisory. It might be a paragraph or two, we could say, I guess, uh, that are the benefits. So not, not many benefits are given um, in this advisory. So uh, the podcast will kind of minimize those benefits as well. So Tree, why don't you just maybe point to some of those benefits that are discussed? Yeah, I do think it's one paragraph in the entire uh, document. But uh, yeah, I it's, it's so hard to talk about social media because a lot of it is really hard and really bad. And, and there are some, some good things, you know, I, I'm the least qualified person to talk about this. I posted, I counted it this morning, six things since 2021 on my Instagram account. So I, way to go, man. And, and only one this year. So most of that was last year. <laughs> hey, that's so more I, than me. <laughs> me so too, man. I, yeah. I might as well not even have it at this point, but I, I do think there are some benefits. There, there's a certain level of connectivity that, that students can feel towards different things, each other. Um, you know, the, the ability to engage with their friends uh, when they're outside of the physical space of like being at school or over at each other's houses. Um, you know, I, the, the, 
the article mentions uh, finding support through tough times and being able to show their creative side and seeing what's going on in their friends' lives. Um, however, even with that, so maybe I'm taking us down a rabbit trail here. But it, <laughs> but if you go to the next paragraph that talks about the harm, so it talks about like a, a 58% of people uh, report that it makes them, the social media use makes them feel more accepted. And then if you go down to the, the harm paragraph, it talks about, uh, I can't remember the amount of people. Uh, a large amount of people find it, you know, depression and anxiety inducing as well. So I'd, I'd be interested in, in even looking at <clears throat> those numbers and saying, like, do the numbers for positive experiences go up if you have more limitations on your use or I, mm-hmm. I just don't know how we square these numbers because it seems like, oh, there's all these people that say it's so helpful and, benef- and beneficial. And then there's almost the exact same numbers of, of negative effects. So I think there can be some positive things. Um, but I do think that uh, as parents and youth workers, uh, everything in moderation. So I do think it can be helpful and good as long as it's not life driving and a necessity your life i don't know yeah no i mean yeah it seems like because i do want to be sensitive as we've said um you know those students who do not have social media if you know but it's because their parents won't allow it or whatever they do miss out to a certain degree and they do feel that anxiety of not knowing what everybody else is talking about and that's not something i want to make light of i know that's a real um pain and affliction for those those teenagers who don't have this at the same time um it's like once they do get it and they're on it then it goes into kind of the harms that you're talking about i mean i've you know rym has summer interns that uh, work for us at our summer conferences and it's interesting having conversations with those college age students who are more mature and they talk about, you know, I want to have this social media platform, but at the same time, it makes me miserable. And, but it's kind of the game you have to play to just kind of be able to keep up with people. And so again, it's just interesting having those conversations with, with older adolescents where they're not um, afraid of talking about the negatives while also saying, but I kind of have to have it at the same time. So um, anything, Linda, you want to mention kind of in this category of benefits or anything that they, they say in um, this advisory? Yeah, I mean, I think Tree kind of covered it. But the, the benefits generally have to do with potential for community and support, right? Like, especially if someone feels um, marginalized or left out in their own context, right? So there are some ways that we might not want students to find those communities if we don't agree with them. But imagine a student who's a Christian and is not surrounded by Christians in their life and they find a Christian community online. Um, That -hmm. can be helpful in some ways, right? Now, I imagine they still would feel very lonely in their life. And so there's that, hey, it's it has a benefit, but I still feel lonely, maybe even depressed in my life. Like, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't Mm -hmm. solve the problem, um, but it can be helpful. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I do think that that is a, you know, a valid benefit. Um, I mean, they kind of talk in, in this advisory about just the, 
the diverse group that you can kind of find out there because you're, you're able to, to find. And really I, I was thinking, um, I got to go to the gospel coalition and there was, uh, some workshop where they were discussing social media. I cannot remember the exact title, but there were several, I mean, Rebecca McLaughlin, Sarah Zalstra, um, Gavin Ortland, I believe, and some others. And I think it was Ortland who was talking about the community he's found through YouTube, that that's kind of his favorite social media platform. And he's been able to connect with people um, on just various, um, yeah, discussions. And anyway, so it does allow that. So I don't want to minimize that. Um, but then kind of getting into those harms and then Tree, Linda, whoever wants to jump in here, um, you know, something that's just very clear. And it's like, we've got to continue to say this because this report highlights this that it says those who spend more than three hours per day on social media faced double the risk of experiencing mental health symptoms like depression and anxiety. I mean, the clear thing, the more time you spend on it, the more depressed you're going to be. I mean, it's just kind of, you cannot argue that. And that seems to be common. So Tree, Linda, who wants to jump in here? And maybe, you know, as we're kind of on page seven, anything that jumped out to you guys there, anything you want to, to highlight? Something that ties into that on page nine. First paragraph where it says nearly 75% of adolescents say social media sites are only doing a, a fair to poor job of addressing online harassment and cyberbullying. Um, mm. When I read that, like the, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, 75% is a very large number, yet we keep going back to it, right? <laughs> Uh, if, if we think that they're doing a, a fair to poor job of addressing things that are clearly a problem and are negative, negatively affecting us, then why do we give it so much power over us, right? Why do we give it so much weight? Why do we keep going back to it? And <clears throat> and more, more than just harassment and cyberbullying, I mean, the whole comparison thing where... Um, I forget the, yeah. the name of the article, but I think Linda, you you addressed this on a previous podcast about just the the damaging effects of of social media use on teenage girls. Like, it's staggering. Like, the whole comparison thing. So, it's fascinating how we we get so addicted to things that are just not helpful for us. And the the question I I would love for us to wrestle with either here or just in in our circles is how do we train and teach children how to look at something like this, like look at those statistics and say, this is clearly not good for you. How do we teach you to engage with it in healthy ways? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that, that is highlighted in the report um, is just kind of the positives of, you know, I think they said even specifically, and I'm, I'll try to go back, but um yeah, it says a small randomized controlled trial in college age youth found that limiting social media use to 30 minutes daily over three weeks led to, to positive outcomes. So saying that sounds laughable. Um, I know for parents listening to this, youth workers, to say to a teen, hey, try just doing 30 minutes a day. They would say, well, I, I couldn't even check all of the social media platforms that I'm on, you know, in 30 minutes a day. Uh, but then they also say, you know, deactivating it uh, for a four week period led to, um, I think, 20 to 25 to 40% uh, of those college age people just having positive outcomes again. So it's just kind of, that's one of the answers of uh, strict boundaries and limitations. Um, but it's an answer that many of us don't want to employ and just 
being honest, I mean, as a parent speaking, and I know other parents out there, that is just, you know, a battle and it is exhausting. And um, it's just easier to not worry about or to try to enforce some of those boundaries and just kind of, um, yeah, wave the white flag, it seems like. But again, limiting uh, screen time and all that is the answer. It's just, are we, are we going to do that? Um, Linda, any thoughts here or elsewhere? Yeah. You know, um, Tree was talking about like the comparison and whatnot for teenage girls. And it, I mean, it definitely points out that, um, adolescent girls and those that are already experiencing poor mental health are the ones that are, um, they have like the highest concern for on a lot of these stats, um, and the effects social media can have. But as you kind of get into more of the specifics of what they're talking about, I kind of feel like, hey, like body image is included as like some of the risk factors. But there's other things that are like way beyond that, too, where it's like, hey, we need to talk about the extreme and inappropriate and harmful content that is easily and widely accessible on social media. Like there's depictions of self-harm. There's hate-based content. Um, there's, you know, this has been talked about on this podcast before, like predatory behavior, um, targeting adolescents. Um, and like the, I mean, that's just stuff like you, if you're going to let teens be on it, um, I think you have to train them to know like, Hey, you're going to come across this and you need to know what to do when you do come across it. You know, the same way like that you train, if, if you live in an area where um, the roads get icy in the winter, you train your teen how to drive in mm-hmm. that setting before you just let them go do it. Um, like we, we have mm-hmm. to um, uh, prepare them for that. Um, and and it, it talks about yeah. one of the other big risks is just like excessive and problematic use of social media, which of course we know like social media platforms are designed to maximize user engagement. And that again, like because the reward center in the adolescent brain is particularly active, they are particularly susceptible to um, becoming even more addicted to it. And so you know, just having conversations with them about this and being like, Hey, like, this is the reality. Like your brain is actually more susceptible to this. I think that empowers us to make more informed decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I like to just kind of your analogy of training during, uh, you know, if the roads are icy where you live, one kind of interesting aspect of that is that, you know, for parents training, uh, their children how to drive, they, they know how to drive, but so much of the social media platforms, they don't know, and they don't know how to train. And that's not taking shots at parents. It's because there's new apps, you know, all the time that the teens are in on that we're, we're just unaware of, but you're exactly right mm-hmm. off there. There has to be training. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, I mean, even adolescents, it's a 75% are saying that social media sites are doing a poor job or a fair job of just kind of addressing some of the negatives. Um, so even adolescents are kind of noticing this and kind of what you were saying too, about the excessive and problematic use. Um, there are, let's see, five things they highlight in this study. And then Linda, I'd, I'd love for you to talk about just uh, some of the other, I know another article um, that, that addresses some of this, but it says, 
you know, social media platforms are often designed to maximize user engagement. And they, again, highlight several. Uh, the first is push notifications. Second, autoplay. Three, the infinite scroll. Four, quantifying and displaying popularity like likes. Um, and then fifth, just algorithms that leverage user data to serve content recommendations. Just some of the ways in which um, they're trying to maximize user engagement. And, you know, as adults, we still fall into all of this and it keeps us on. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we do have some wisdom and life experience where we can push back where younger people cannot. But Linda, I know but pre-recording, we were kind of talking about just some of the states that are taking action. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that because it applies here in this just excessive um, and problematic use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was an article that came out, um, I think this is October 24th. Um, the article I found says that in a move led by Colorado, 42 attorney generals are suing Meta, um, of course, previously known as Facebook, Um and they are alleging that the company knowingly designed and deployed harmful features on Instagram and its other social media platforms that purposely uh, addict children and teens. So, yeah, it's just interesting to note, like, so many states are raising this issue now because um, they're they're seeing, hey, it, it sounds like you, you were trying to claim this is safe for teens, but it looks like you were purposely trying to addict them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, I, I think it's important. I mean, not only to highlight this just because it's, it's news and it's out there, but, um, I, I do get the sense that so many parents are just weary over these, these battles with this and to, to hear that this kind of action is taking place. will hopefully, um, just give parents some, some renewed zeal to, in the fight that, um, again, kind of highlighting some of this, this article, uh, it's talking about Arizona attorney general, Chris Mays announced that she has joined dozens of other states in this lawsuit. Um, and uh, you know, eight other states are also filing separate complaints, Tennessee, Massachusetts, Utah, among others. One just encouraging thing is that this cuts across a partisan divide. So you have Democrats and Republicans that are concerned about this. They cite Gene Twenge, which is someone we've talked about plenty of times on this, this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're suing Meta because Meta knows uh, what this is doing. And instead of dialing it down, they've dialed it up to just increase the amount of users and engagement. So it will be interesting to see what comes along with this, not to mention the fact that the president of the United States issued an executive order towards artificial intelligence. And that gets in, you know, a little bit of a different direction, but still related. Um, so anyway, Tree, uh, we haven't heard from you in a little while, and I feel like I've been talking too much. Uh, anything anything you want to jump in on here? Yeah, I just want to add to that. I, when I hear stats like uh, Linda just shared about, about the these attorney generals getting together and speaking against this, I, I hope that that's actually encouraging to a lot of people because we really haven't. So in a lot of ways, we work so hard to protect children from harm. So like... This is why we have mandatory reporting laws and we we try to keep our eyes on children when they're out in public. Right. But but this is one area where we really haven't done a very good job at all. If if we've done anything. Uh, so the fact that the, the we have the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory here and we have people getting together 
across the country. I hope that like we're finally like okay, that this really is a problem, and and at least at least some people are trying to address it uh, from a from a government standpoint. And I, I greatly appreciate that, um, but we still have a responsibility uh, individually to to address this as well. Um, and one question I did have, and um, so I think I've shared this before. And it, it doesn't have to do with social media, but it, it was this eye-opening moment for me where I realized like just how disconnected people can be. And I was over at one of our family's houses and I was sitting in their living room talking to the dad and his son was in the driveway playing basketball with his friends. And the, the windows were open so we could see out into the driveway and they were having a great time laughing, cutting up and, you know, just playing basketball and then all of a sudden they just stopped very suddenly and they all just ran off in different directions and it was just like huh I wonder what happened so the son comes in and his dad was like well what what happened y'all were having a great time then y'all just like ran off and he's like yeah we wanted to play video games together and it was just this like <laughs> I, you know dating myself when when i used to want to play video games with my friends we would invite each other to our houses and we'd play goldeneye against each other on the same screen but now there's this i mean and i'm not against online gaming it's just is this we want to go be together but in order to do that we have to run in separate directions and I, there's a point here i promise uh <laughs> when, I, when i'm reading this article it, it it's almost like there's a sense where we we just have forgotten how to teach people how to be in relationship with each other. Um, and I think there's this deep, intense longing for that, that people do find on social media. And, and if they do, then that's great. And I, I'm, I'm glad. Um, but I, I'm wondering how much like soft life skills we have given up on with teens and just kind of teaching them like basic life skills and, like we said earlier, they're they're having to figure all this out on their own, and they're looking looking to social media and the internet to figure this out. How can we kind of recapture that, and how can we seek to like teach our children, and and specifically with social media, how to use it as a tool? I mean, I know you've said that numerous times on this podcast that it needs to be a tool that we use, as a, as opposed to something that just fully like embrace like takes over our lives. How do we teach? How do we teach our children like basic skills like, okay, you, you have the social media account. There, here's the clear ways that this affects you and your brain that we've talked about already. Um, and how can you use this as a tool? So when I look at my Instagram account on the, the very rare case that I do, there's three things that I see. It's usually Babylon Bee articles. Uh, it's usually Star Wars related or it's sports related. Okay. Uh, and when I get on there, I, I engage with those things because I think they're funny or interesting. And then I'm able to kind of check out. Um, so I, thankfully I don't have like the, the infinite loop, you know, I don't get, I don't get into that vortex as much as I used to. Um, but training teens how to like recognize like, okay, I've gotten sucked in and, and I'm, I'm in that vortex. How do I, how do I in a healthy way disengage from this? and use it for what I, what I need to, to use it for, as opposed to it just being part of my, my daily life and whatever. Yeah, no. And, and I think getting back to the relational piece, uh, you know, 
What's interesting is, you know, parents of previous generations did not have to teach that as much um, because it yes. just naturally happened, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and of course, yes, you, you've got to, children disagree, they fight, <clears throat> you've got to come alongside them, teach them how to work through those arguments, things like that. But so many of the activities were just relationally based anyway. And now that's been taken away. And so this is now something that parents have to actively try to pursue and teach their kids. And which interesting too is uh, that the, the Surgeon General also is, is starting this initiative entitled Made to Connect um, because of what we're talking about right here, just the increased isolation people are, are feeling and the poor mental health that's just associated with the loneliness and all of that. And so he's going to colleges to, to talk about this kind of made to connect events. Um, I have not done a whole lot of reading on that, but I just thought that was interesting that he's kind of um, being proactive in this. And, and again, this advisory towards the end, it kind of gives some action items. And I feel like that's kind of where we are as we're kind of getting towards the end of this, this podcast um, is talking about um, really, I mean, some of what he says is just modeling this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, let, let's maybe talk to youth workers first. Uh, yes, parents listen to this podcast. Youth workers do. Um, my sense is that many, I'm not saying all, but many youth workers um, are younger. Uh, they don't have teens themselves. And they're probably just as addicted to these platforms as their students are. Um, would you both say that that's somewhat accurate? I'm painting with broad strokes here. I'm not saying everyone, but if that's the case, okay, how can those youth workers hear this and listen to this and potentially model um, healthy interaction differently? Just kind of react to that. What, what are your thoughts, Linda or Tree? Yeah, I mean, I think the longer I have spent doing youth ministry, the more you just kind of start to notice a difference in like maybe the interns and whatnot you get. And you're like, okay, like I feel like I'm a different generation than these people now. Um, (laughs) And it's a, I don't know, it's difficult because like Tree was talking, like it was different when I was great. Like I remember getting my first cell phone. And then I remember when texting started to be a thing. And I was like, why would I text someone when I can just call them? Like, this is stupid. And now we think completely the opposite. We're like, why would I call someone when it can just be a quick text? Um, And so it's so different now, but I remember, um, I don't, yeah, like getting to a place where I was noticing, hey, I think that some of my students are being more socialized by um, like TV shows Um, Or maybe like their friends are learning how to interact socially through TV shows. Um, And so it's just different. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I feel like so much of the church's um, calling here is to show like the the value of in-person face-to-face Christian fellowship. Right. And like, we need to teach our need for that. Um, and like, we can point to the need, like scientifically, neurobiologically, but like also biblically. Um, Cause you can find several places where like Paul and John in their epistles are clearly saying like, Hey, I, I wish I could be with you face-to-face. 
And that's what I long for. And we see that like, that's the picture for sanctification too, that we're not sanctified in um, like in a vacuum or by ourselves. We are sanctified in the church with each other. And so like, there just has to be so much um, that we do there that we're, we're showing um, each other, like, man, these face to face relationships, um, contribute to our lifelong thriving and they are, um, so much better than technology mediated relationships. Like technology mediated relationships are going to pale in comparison. So if we can make our churches places where like that picture becomes really clear, um, I think that will do a lot, but yeah, I mean, so if like young, younger youth workers that, um, have not learned that yet. Like, I I just think that's going to be a journey for them. You don't learn that overnight. Yeah, I I agree with all that. And I think one way that we can, one of the recommendations is to model responsible social media, social media behavior. And uh, if if we're not doing a great job of that, then our students are, they're, they're not ignoring that they're, they're, Oh, you're sitting up here teaching me that social media is bad yet. Yet you're over there on your phone all the time. Like it's, we're not helping the cause there in any means. So I think if we can model it as best as we can, uh, then I I think that we're putting them in a a decent space to be able to hear that and, and truly soak it in. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I I don't, I mean, I'm not, everybody has to make this decision, but I take our students' phones whenever we take them on a trip. I don't let them bring them. Um, and they always, you know, Oh, you're awful. Why would you do that? And by the end of the week, they're like, that was awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. so there, there's clearly like a, something that's connecting there where they're like, huh, when I, when I disengage from this for long periods of time, it's actually freeing me to actually like engage and and have fun with my friends as opposed to having that constant, like, you know, the phantom buzz going off in their pocket or or feeling the need Mm -hmm. to, to, to check the time. Right. Uh, yeah. No, and, and I think it's going to vary from youth group to youth group and but but I think there there needs to be something like that tree. I, I mean, that's what we did in in our youth group as well was we we had boundaries in certain programs and trips. Some were more extreme than others, you know, for the the middle school trip, um we had stricter boundaries than we did with high schoolers, but I think every youth worker needs to have some kind of you know, boundary in place uh, from devices and to have intentional times where, hey, we're going to be in person together. We're going to enjoy just incarnational interaction. Um, you know, we just think of the incarnation and the, how um, significant that is for all of Christianity. Um, you know, Jesus came in the flesh and there's something about that in flesh interaction that we need to foster that is being lost um, when it comes to technology. And so, Yes, youth workers, um, be thinking of what that could look like in your youth ministry. Be thinking of just kind of personally your own habits uh, before the Lord um, and then what ways in which you can challenge students. Um, so, yes, youth workers can do a lot in modeling this and youth workers can do a lot in challenging parents on this. Um, parents are, are feeling beat up over this, like I said. I mean, speaking as one parent um, with two teenagers and five children, Um yeah, it's it's a weary it's a wearisome road for sure, 
Um, but kind of shifting to parents, uh, what, what are thoughts you guys have of how youth workers might can interact with parents to help them um, in this, not shaming or guilt tripping? Um, any thoughts you, you have um, in, in this specific aspect, Linda Tree? Mm-hmm. I think the point you made earlier about, um, you know, p- parents are needing to train in this area, but they themselves have never been trained because they didn't grow up with like, that's an important thing I think to mention to the parents. So they like, I don't want conversations like this to come off as like, Oh, y'all are terrible for just letting this go. Like, Hey, wire. It's like, actually they didn't know that they needed to be thinking about this. So like, we want to empower you with information and help you to make good decisions for your family. Um, And one of the things that is in the report that I really liked is it talks about families can make their social media plan, but not only that, that they work with other families to create support for themselves because it is not going to be easy to be the only ones that are creating um, boundaries around social media, you know? And so like, I, I think that youth workers can help foster that between families. And if a youth worker themselves is having issues with um, having boundaries for their own social media use, like get other people in your life involved in that and um, on on board with the same ideas about boundaries and encourage one another in that. Like it is, it is not easy to be the only ones creating boundaries and to be the only ones with kids that don't use it as much as others because then they feel left out. Um, you know, I, I just thought that was a really important point. Yeah, that's a that's a great point about the parents. I was actually just going to say that, but Linda Linda was spot on. Just that, you know, everything that we have said so far is not beating up on parents and saying, "Well, why haven't you done this?" But it, it really is like they're we're we're trying to figure it out too, right? We're all trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and wh- one thing that I, I want to encourage parents uh, to think about, um, and it, I don't want to just focus on behavior because I just changing behavior doesn't change people's hearts. But, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, because there's like an addictive nature to, to this and it becomes behavior mm-hmm. that at the, on page 17, creating those tech free zones and encouraging children to foster in-person friendships. I think there's something to the whole idea of like not allowing a teen to have their computer, iPad, laptop, phone in their room at night, not just because you're trying to like, you know, prevent them from doing something bad, but rather you're, you're trying to like put them in a place where their hearts are being filled with good things. Right. So yeah, maybe, maybe they don't spend all night on their phone or maybe they don't spend all their night scrolling on Instagram, but when they do, it's going to ruin their sleep. It's going to, you know, potentially be harmful to them. So like, I think there should be a sense in which we, we have those areas where they can just be free to just, you know, sleep or, or to engage with their friends or, or whatever it is. I, I think having that, and they even encourage like an hour before bedtime, like making sure there's, mm-hmm. there's no screens. Um, cause I mean, we, we all know how, like a, if you stare at a screen for a long period of time, it's just going to keep you up and up and up. And then when you try to go to sleep, it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. so I think there's, there, I don't want to just talk about behaviors because there's, there's always a heart behind behaviors, but because of the addictive nature of things like social media, I think there's a certain sense in which like we have to, we have to work alongside the heart and the behavior at the same time 
And I think parents can do that. And I want to encourage parents to address this in a way that, and I think Linda mentioned this a second ago, that's not shame or guilt based uh, because it's easy to just sit here and, you know, throw the red flag and social media is bad and it's evil and it's bad for you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but teach them why, like t- teach them, like going back to what we said earlier, your brain is in a stage where it is developing and it is very susceptible to the addictive nature of this. And this is why we're putting these, these parameters up. This is why we're putting these margins up for you. It's not just the, you know, the parent police, you know, wanting to uh, throw down a rule, but it's, it's parenting, right? Teaching mm-hmm. children why, teaching them uh, the dangers of it, and, and maybe even teaching them some of the benefits of them and, and teaching them how to use them as, as that tool that we had talked about earlier. So I, I want to encourage parents to, yeah, it's a scary conversation. It's a new conversation, but we have a responsibility and we can do that well, or we can do it poorly. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, let's seek to do it as well as we can. Yeah, um, absolutely. And just echo what you both said. I think that's, that's great counsel. Um, and for the youth workers listening to, to see, um, you can be the one who can get parents together at times to have these conversations and to try to foster some of that community of doing this together because parents do need each other in this. And I think maybe just kind of something we've said before, but just, you know, youth workers and parents to, as you're talking to either your children or your students to um, tell them you're a fellow struggler in this. Uh, to, to let them know, hey, I struggle being addicted with to my phone and I struggle of just getting lost in it and all of those things, not approaching it of, you know, we've arrived in this. No, we're fellow strugglers with them. And I just think that's that's vital, um, a vital piece of this conversation um, that, you know, will, I, I believe, um, help foster some, some deeper vulnerability and intimacy with your child or student on this uh, specific issue. So, um, again, a reminder, I'll have the link to the PDF uh, in this uh, in the show notes. So if you want to read the whole report, uh, if you want to read some of the summary uh, of the infographic and other things that uh, Joey helped to put together, check out the show notes as well as some other resources that we've mentioned that may be helpful. Tree, Linda, thanks for taking the time to read this report and then come on today and discuss this. <music>